2: Now here are your hosts: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, Pure Athlete Yeah, I transcend race hombre. Matt Butler, I don't talk <laughs> man, I back it up, and we are sock full of that. man. You're right. And Jeff Howe, It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets so. up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for enjoying another presentation of this podcast that we've had going. Ten years strong now. We very much we greatly appreciate the support we get for this show. It does not go unnoticed, so thank you so much, everybody. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns two four seven. 7 No dashes, no slashes. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest Longhorn team news notes and nuggets recruiting coverage, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish. Get it all at Horns 24-7. Let me bring in the rest of the team. That will be alongside for the ride. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir?
1: Doing pretty well, man. How about you?
2: Tremendous. And the third member of our team, he is a renaissance man. He wears many hats, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge each and every weekday on the Horn from 3 to 7. But for the purposes of this show, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers.
0: Thanks for the intro, brother. It was money as always. I,
2: I do my best. Money just to, That's game. my one goal. If I can get through Rod's intro without screwing it up, the rest of the show is gravy. That's mm-hmm. how I look at yeah. it each and every
0: oh, It's week. like having a good start. A I good yeah. start like money Usually on to get you confidence. doing it, too. Boom, you can flow through the rest of it.
2: Uh, well, <sighs> we talked a lot about the Texas defense last week, man, just in terms of a little football theory conversation and my weird question about Pete Kwiatkowski and Todd Orlando and mm-hmm kind of how they almost seem to be polar opposites of each other and how they view football. But I want to get back to getting granular with this defense in terms of where we think this is going in 2022 and personnel. And specifically, back to a conversation, Rod, we've had many times throughout this offseason, and that's the the balance at linebacker between the short-term and the long-term. What is your short-term plan? What is your long-term plan? We know now that the short-term plan – includes Diamante, Tucker, Dorsey, the linebacker, out of James Madison, FCS All-American. You know, Texas wanted to add a linebacker. They wanted to add a, an inside linebacker through the portal the entire way. And whether it was Aaron Brule, Jacoby Windman, like they, there were some guys early on that they targeted, mm-hmm. that they recruited. For whatever reason, things just didn't play out. Yeah. But here we are at the very end of the cycle, and they get Diamante, Tucker, Dorsey. They could have done a lot worse. Than not getting an FCS all-American um I, at the same time I'm not expecting him to come in here and be Gary Johnson right off the bat but it's a pretty it's a pretty solid addition but Rod my question is when you look at him from a body type standpoint uh, was he listed at 5'10 215 15 yeah,
0: he's undersized.
2: is is this indicative of hey this is kind of where we think we need to go with the linebacker position in terms of getting some some more some smaller leaner, sleeker, faster bodies at that position? Or is this just a situation of it's as simple as it is. Hey, need to add a linebacker. He's the best one available. Go get him.
0: Yeah, that's a great – I mean, this is almost like a Rorschach test if you're a Texas football fan, right? If you look at the linebacker position, you can see what you want to see. You can see – you know, he's 5'10", 215. You know, Gary Patterson's now on his staff. You know, it's almost like a Gary Patterson type linebacker if you just add like five more pounds on him, right? And you could. You could Traven th- Howard was playing <laughs> linebacker
2: at TCU a couple years ago, like, I think sub 200 pounds.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you could theorize, right, since that, you know, Gary Patterson knows the ecosystem of the Big 12 really well. And for years, even before positionless football became, you know, a popular term and you saw a lot of hybrids take over the Big 12 to combat the hybrid spread schemes you always talk about, Jeff. Defensively, you've seen teams go with more hybrids, period, on the other end so that they're not at a disadvantageous position when and coaches try to you know, exploit those matchups across the board. So I could, you know, like I said, you could look at it and go, oh, Gary Patterson, special assistant head coach. Guy looks like kind of a Gary Patterson guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to get faster on defense. We know that, right? Sark has already said that openly. And you would assume if you're 5'10", 215, a linebacker, you can run. All yeah. right? If you can't, then that, you know, that 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 to me would be something that's uh, almost kind of, uh, you know, it, it, would go, it would go contrary to football logic that if he's an undersized linebacker that he can't run. Now, you could also say that maybe – PK and Gary Patterson want to use him in a hybrid form. We don't know this. It goes back to your Maurice Blackwell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, experiment that you would like them to have. And they, they, I mean, they've moved him back and forth, but to actually designate a player to be a hybrid. So no, 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 no. Yeah. We want this guy to be our hybrid player that he's not, when we do our sub package, he's not going to be able to come off the field. We could put him in the box because, you know, we have talking about this with Quandre Diggs forever, right? Just because your body type doesn't necessarily fit your position. It took a lot of different layers of him, you know, going through the college level, at first into the NFL as a slot corner. He was a corner here and a nickel here. And then finally somebody saying, you know what, man? He actually has more traits to be a really good safety. I know he doesn't look it. I know he don't look like he would be a great safety because he's built like a corner or a slot corner, but he actually does have the physical traits. His football character, his football DNA actually fits more safety. And now, because of them moving, he's one of the best safety in the league. So every now and then, a guy's skill set doesn't necessarily match his body type right and I think maybe they could look at this guy and say hey man we like his he's a physical football player and he's got great football instincts and he's fast we're not afraid to put him in the box in sub packages and be confident that you know what maybe he'll be able to hold his own I'm not sure exactly but this is something to somebody if you want to see that you can see that or you can see hey man he was the best he was the only <laughs> thing left right. he was the Argo principal the best bad idea because there was nothing else left and we know they needed depth that linebacker and they ended up with a five 10, 215 pound linebacker because that's what happens this late in the transfer portal. However you want to look at it, right. if you want to be glass half full, glass half empty. I've you know, i been throwing out the glass half full thing because I'm hoping that they are looking now studying the Big 12 with the help of Gary Patterson going, no, 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 this guy fits really good in the Big 12.
2: Beats the alternative.
0: Yeah, BCL exactly. (laughs) Otherwise, it was like, oh, they got they got leftovers of transfer portal, and that's all they could get. Like, nah, I'd rather go down the other rabbit hole. And and if (laughs) if you
2: take if you take word too, where they're not gonna take a guy just to take a guy, which I think they did that last year Mm -hmm. with some of the portal additions that they made. And I mean, I don't want to knock, you know, some of those guys. Like I've said on this podcast or the offseason, like you appreciate their effort. Yeah, Uh, you know, some of those guys play hard. But it's just, hey, at that point you're still knowing your roster. You're, you know, you're you're adjusting to what you have, what you can add. There were positions like edge where they just plain flat out didn't have guys yeah. that they needed to add. Uh, you know, like when they added Devin Richardson, a the linebacker, they didn't know what they had with Luke Brockermeyer yet. They hadn't they hadn't seen Demarvin Overshown on the field at that point. Mm-hmm. So really, at that point, it's just look, hey, any able body you can get in here, you'll take and try to do something with it. So all those things, taking all those things into consideration. Putting last year's roster together was kind of a crapshoot to an extent, trying to do it on the fly, especially with a couple COVID stoppages they had. Mm-hmm. But if you take Sarkit's word uh, from the standpoint of they don't want to take a guy just to take a guy, and my theory with the, with the portal additions that they've made, we talked about this last week, if you really buy into Sarkit with the help of you know, Bobby Merrick and Gary Patterson and the other the people he's brought in the organization, if he's really studied this roster – and really understands what he has. The additions they're bringing in, portal or otherwise, they've got to fit in some way, shape, or form. That puzzle piece, there's a purpose, there's a reason why they're bringing in who they're bringing in.
0: I I hope so. I'm with you. I I would like to think that, yeah, Sark is turning over this roster with extreme attention to specificity and detail um, with guys that he's coming in and with contingency plans, like, hey, no, I got a vision for this guy, and if it doesn't quite work out there, we got other ways that as you – what's your word? Repurpose. Boom. Throw that out there, all right, that you can repurpose guys. So I hope that it's with that ton of detail that they're looking into these acquisitions. It's not just, man, we need a linebacker. Who's yeah. the best, highest grade linebacker, the guy out there? All right, that guy. All right, cool. Bring it in. It's like, nah, well, is that the right fit, though? You're, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You've, Texas is, is a program for the last decade that's had the most talent and the best recruiting classes in the Big 12, that don't mean a damn thing. Mm. <laughs> uh, and the best resources, though, no, you got to you got to find what the right fit and the right uh, kind of formula of compatibility with this group while you're rebuilding this roster. That's how you're going to build a good culture, too, and all those things. So I'm, I, I, I'm with you. I'm going to err on the side of, you know what, the, the football theory um, you know, theory, if you, if you will, of the acquisition that no, 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 they got a plan for Dionte Diamante Tucker Dorson. Mm-hmm. she's got to get a nickname quick, so because that's gonna be hard for me to say every time. I'll
2: I'll go down that road you're going down, Rod. Right of I'll look at this from a more optimistic point of view because I would rather, for me, I would rather get through the season and be like, wow, yeah, the, it didn't really fit. I would almost rather do that than just throw this aside and then kind of be like, oh, wow, why didn't I see that coming as a fit back in May when all this stuff yeah. happened and they were putting this together. I'd like to think that we're seeing some kind of a vision from yep. Sarkin and, and this staff on how they want to build this roster I and how things so. are going to fit. I'll and the
1: way that things fit in year two is a little bit different than how we sort of have to assess. Going into year one, when you're showing up to a place where you already don't know all the people that you're showing up to to mm-hmm. start and coming off of – a COVID year, which was as different as any year that you can imagine, when you show up in year one, you just want to make sure you're filling out the roster and get as – you don't want to leave it because you don't even know what you have. Right. So you need to at least fill out those scholarships to be able to then – because in his mind, a player coming in, a player there, you know, to him, he's trying to go clean slate. Going into year two is a little bit different. Like you said, you've sort of been able to purge out the mm-hmm. guys you want. You've been able to fit and Now it's you so- sort of have control to fit in the pieces that you prefer to see how they fit, not to just – get as many bodies in that we know that can play at this level and then try to fit them together. So it's cool to see this because this... Guy, at least when you see him on paper, he looks like Diamante Tucker Dorsey I'm talking about. He looks like a Gary Patterson linebacker. Like whenever I just saw, Mm -hmm. you know, like his dimensions, how people explained him, it was like, oh, he reminds me of one of those TCU guys. So this is sort of one of my instinct, my first thought was, oh, this might be a little Gary Patterson find. So it'd be cool to see if that's actually working out the way we had sort of envisioned it to.
2: It's interesting though, Matt, something you said there, I don't know what it was, but it just triggered something that we talked about last week and in terms of roster building, and it's kind of the the gift and the curse of the transfer portal, right? Like we talked about uh, with Sark, he's going to have advantages and has advantages that Tom Herman and Charlie Strong and even Mac Brown, when he tried to reboot it after 2010, yep. advantages those guys didn't have. Mm-hmm. They didn't have one-time transfer for transfers to be immediate immediately eligible. They didn't have the portal in the sense that and Tom Herman did, but not in the sense that we know it. Right now, uh, whereas, those guys, whereas those guys, whereas yeah. those guys were leaning on JUCO guys, yeah. Uh, you know, Sart can take FBS transfers and get them eligible right away. So it's yeah. a different ball game Agreed. in terms of building a yeah. roster. And now he doesn't have to deal with now that this cycle is over. Now he no longer has to worry about initial counters and how many do I have to? How many can we roll back? Do, do we have? Did we meet? Did we get to twenty five or twenty three? So now we could take you know twenty seven or whatever. You just have to manage the eighty five. Now that is a huge weight, a huge burden lifted off of this staff that they don't have to worry about anything scholarship-wise except managing the 85. The flip side of that is that gift and the curse aspect, Sark has to deal with much more roster turnover and had to deal with more roster turnover and uncertainty than those guys had to deal with. Like, yes, we saw some churn and we saw some turnover with Tom Herman and with Charlie Strong, and to a lesser extent, Matt because you had a bunch of guys that came to Texas to play for whether it was like Will Muschamp or a Mike Tollison or a Bobby Kennedy or whoever, and then all of a sudden one year in, oh, all those guys are gone. So there was some churn there at the bottom of the roster. But it's it's a different deal where yeah, you kind of were just filling spots just to fill them last year to an extent. But now now that you've got to handle it, okay, wrap your arms around one one time transfer and the portal and name image and likeness and do all that. And now yeah, I think it is it does stand to reason the Sark doesn't should have a much better idea on what this roster is and where things are going.
0: Yeah, I think there's evidence that, you know, supports the theory that they're bringing in Diamante, Tucker, Dorsey, specifically because they have a vision for him. Um, You know, we talked about the Gary Patterson connection and how he kind of fits a Gary Patterson linebacker, one of those hybrid guys. That's where the the Big 12 defense is going. But the offseason for Sark, he mentioned specific things. He said he wants – Speed on defense, wants to improve the football IQ on defense, right? Specific things that he's throwing out Mm -hmm. there. And with some of the moves, whether they end up working or not, we don't know. Uh, But you can see with the moves they've made on defense, the anticipated projected starters, Anthony Cook moving to safety, right? Um, You know, Keaton Crawford moving to safety. That infuses speed at the safety position, right? The central nervous system. uh, Guys that play multiple positions. Obviously, have high football IQs. You're Jaday moving Barron. those guys inside. Jade Barron as well. So and Demarvin Oversham also another guy has played multiple positions, right? So and in speed is the best part of his game. And hopefully, Jalen Ford, you know that that helps too. Hopefully, he's also a guy that can play at a really high level, kind of match the intensity of Demarvin Overshaw. But Demarvin Overshaw, this just got to play like an NFL player. Period. I um, and I think all the projections, yeah. all the scouts have him. Oh no, that guy has a Sunday skill set. And he's got to prove that this year. I think he is an NFL player. I think he can play in the league. He should look like it this year with the consistency in the coaching now that he's had, first time that he's had at the linebacker position. Um, and also, you know, an offseason without an injury or without COVID or whatever the hell, he's had a really, really tumultuous offseason in his transition to linebacker. So my point is, all the moves they've made in the offseason, not well, all the moves, a lot of the moves they've made in the offseason, they do actually point to Sark listing specific things, having a vision, and trying to fulfill mm-hmm. that
2: vision. And, and let me say this on I, defense: anyway. I probably misspoke a minute ago when I said more roster turnover, more more roster volatility for Sark mm. at this point than Tom Herman or Charlie Strong or certainly Mac Brownhead. But taking that ride with you, right on 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 looking at this defense and specifically with Demarvin Overstone and the need for him to take his game to the yes, next too. level, yeah. I think even in terms of the big picture, when you look at him being one of the better linebackers in the Big 12, because of how much turnover throughout the league there's been at that position. You know, Terrell Bernard's not a Baylor anymore. Mm-hmm. Mike Rose is gone from Iowa State. Malcolm, Malcolm Rodriguez. Rodriguez at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, one of those changing of the guard years mm-hmm. at that position where, yeah, there is room for a DeMarvin Overshown to sit at the head of the table, even though it would only be for a year. We Look, I, mm-hmm. I keep beating the dead horse. When we've seen... There are certain characteristics of a Texas defense when it's been one of the better defenses in the Big 12. We've seen certain characteristics of a Texas defense, and I won't run down all of them, but one of them is the 2011 defense, the 2014 defense, the 2017 defense. All three of those defenses had at least one, and in some cases multiple, NFL caliber linebackers that played at a really high level and were among the better linebackers in the Big 12 that year. Whether it was Keenan Robinson and Maniacho, then mm-hmm. the Jordan Hicks, you know, Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson, you had great linebacker play on those three defenses. And does Texas can Texas get to great linebacker play from what how would we describe linebacker play in twenty twenty one?
0: Well, if you're no conference linebacker, you know big twelve No, no, no. I'm saying how
2: how would we describe the linebacker play at Texas in twenty twenty one this past season? Oh.
0: How would you um, describe it? Um, Not good. it was poor. Yeah.
2: I was gonna say subpar, but okay. And
1: not yeah. good and poor are also explanations
0: yeah. for that. Poor.
2: So can it can it get from poor to to great, and one on one off season? Probably not. I don't know if it's gonna look
0: great. Yeah, because I mean, both linebackers have to be playing at a really high level. I expect Demarvin Overshaw to be okay. playing at a really high level. For Jalen Ford, I mean, it's gonna be some growing pains. He looked great last year uh, in limited reps, but over the course of an entire season. As we know from the Baylor players talking last game, I mean, team scout you. They scout your weaknesses. They scout if you overrun plays, or if you're bad at pursuit angles. If you don't get off block, all these things that you know. After you know five, six, seven games on film that I can study and go, man, he's really bad at this, or he's really bad at that. All right, let's make him do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it, and that's what Texas. That's Texas defense last year. That's basically how they targeted, and exploited the linebackers last year. Remember, the, the Baylor players were talking about it. Yeah, I mean, they literally were like, oh, man, we knew they were going to be over-pursuing plays. They always over-pursue. Oh, we knew that they were going to be. I mean, they, they, they broke it down for you. I mean, that's what great scouting is. So over the course of an entire season, I do wonder if Jalen Ford will still look as good as he did in the very small sample size last year.
2: And that's another – that's another – check box, box to check, another box to check on the Tucker Dorsey pickup. What if Jalen if Jalen Ford gets hurt? What if he if he hits a wall? Oh, yeah. You know, you you basically it's the same reason you add Tariq Milton on offense, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically a really nice insurance policy to have. Yep. And who's to say that Tucker Dorsey doesn't end up coming in here and competing for a job which would do Rod would what competition does. It does one of two things. It's either gonna make Jalen Ford raise his level of play to where now you feel like, okay, now we've got a guy that's been through a couple of real live position battles that is primed and ready to go, or you'll realize, man, Tucker Dorsey's pretty good. Maybe Jalen Ford's not ready. Okay, we'll let him play X number snaps per game, but this kid's gonna start next to Overshome.
0: Well, and it could, you know, when it could be situational, right? You could end up where, okay, situationally, Jalen Ford's good. Say he's good against the run. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, you know what, early downs, he's going to be our guy. But when we get into 50-50 downs, we get into predictable passing situations, that's when, you know, we have to switch it up and go with more of our sub-packages and who knows? I mean, I don't know. Hell, maybe they'll end up going with a a freaky, you know, three three five with Diamante Tucker Dorsey in there as kind of a hybrid player. Like I'm, I'm just saying, he gives them options, right? Maybe you mm-hmm, yeah. play in the box as a as a backup to Jalen Ford, or maybe you could do something different with him in passing situations based on situational football. Like, right. and, I, and and in the in the Big Twelve, because of the hybrid schemes, uh, hybrid schemes you always talk about them facing situational football defensively is everything. Yeah. Red zone, third down, third and long. I mean, that's four, when teams try to go for it on fourth down. I mean, that's everything. You, you live and die by that. Yeah. Everything else is you're bending, but you don't break. But right there in football, that's when you're supposed to win when the odds may flip in your favor. Red zone, field shrinks, third and long. Odds and your favorite as a defense, all those things.
2: Gosh, the Texas yeah. was so bad at red, in red zone and third and long specifically, they were really bad. Were really last
1: bad, year.
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. And when you talk about a guy just looking at Diamante Tucker Dorsey's his stats when he was at James Madison, now the translation to Texas guys and stuff, you know, it's really hard to gauge, you know, what'll work and what'll fit. But if you just look at his performance there, he's a guy that seemed to be a guy that can do everything that's asked of him at the linebacker position. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that at Texas, it's just so big that you can't don't have to worry about a sub package and something getting into a mismatch and having him be a guy that maybe gets played off in that manner. Because in the big 12, if you're going to end up in that situation, you need to be able to be good in coverage, but also be able to do something against the run. And if y'all looked at his numbers, like now, first off to explain the grading system that PFF does, you know, him, at James Madison going against the players he's going against, it would only make sense for him to have higher grades than the Texas guys because of the competition and having to grade out how you perform against your opponent. But if you just take his grades compared to Texas, I mean, his overall player grade would be first on the team. His Against the run, he would be first on the team, and pass rush would be second on the team, and in coverage he'd be third on the team tackling he'd be inside the top nine and if you look across the board some things that stood out to me that was quite impressive was him him in coverage now you again have to remember who he's playing against at James Madison but his entire career for three years he's held opponents to a passer rating of 47.8 when you talk about NFL passer rating which is elite and he has he last year he had five interceptions and three PBUs at the linebacker position when you it was thirty six targets, twenty five receptions for two hundred thirty three yards. Like I said, he had a good pass rush grade. When you look at it that way, his missed tackle percentage was only at nine point seven percent. And then when you look at where he lined up across the board, he lined up in the out of his seven hundred two total snaps, five uh, five hundred forty eight were in the box. He was on the D line fifty four times. He was in the slot ninety one times, mm-hmm. and then he was out at free safety five times corner three times that's probably just following a line or a running back because he's so good in coverage actually letting him shadow a player and go play that running back out at corner or whatever so yep. he also another trend because I remember pointing it out I didn't even notice till you know uh, doing the research on Milton and how he hadn't been flagged for any penalties and If you look back all last year, no penalties against Tucker Dorsey. You have to go back to 2019. He recorded one penalty against him, but his entire career, it's the last two transfers getting guys that maybe – just don't make mistakes or beat themselves, which is something that if you fill with average, makes you as good as your stars. And Texas has those stars that if you can just right now fill on average on defense, that's all Texas wants. You don't want those glaring holes. Stuff.
2: I mean, what I like about Tucker Dorsey, yeah, that is good stuff, Matt. Is you know, even though it was FCS, right? that's a really high level of FCS football he's playing. When you yeah. play James Madison, I mean, they're yeah. they're going three three rounds deep in the playoffs in FCS. Mm-hmm every year, and you look at the teams, I'll just look at their uh, going down James Madison schedule last year, I mean, you're on the road, Weber State was ranked ninth in the country, New Hampshire was a top 25 team, Villanova was a top 25 team, William & Mary, Southeast Louisiana, Montana, North Dakota State, some of the best FCS teams Mm -hmm. in the country are playing against, so I don't necessarily worry, I don't know, this is just kind of the way I view football, I don't necessarily worry about the level of competition, if at that level of competition, you're one of the best guys on the field, and you're playing high leverage reps in high leverage situations. Yeah, He's
0: all-American. Yeah. I mean, so he was the best of the best at that level and yeah, so I think he, it's definitely more than worth exploring to see if he can replicate that type of production at, you know, at the at a higher level. Yeah, he
1: he feels like one of those guys when you would be Watch it, like, say, a decade ago when Texas was dominant and you're going up against somebody and there was some undersized linebacker or undersized defender making plays against Texas. Those, This is the type of player it seems like he is. He's one of those guys that you can just sort of get to transfer in and then get to be your career overachiever, even though maybe he doesn't fit the mold that you would necessarily expect for a guy at his position. You know, the, you
2: know the first time I remember that happening? 20 years ago, Rod, your senior year, you guys beat North Texas in the opener. But, man. Brandon Kennedy, as a 5'9 nose, made so many damn plays. It's like, who is this little spark plug that's just blowing stuff up? He, he got a cup of coffee in the NFL, didn't
0: he? I'm not I sure. Maybe he did. Um, but no, you're right about that. I, I, they I th- are those guys. Um, I, I think for uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey, it's going to be really important – like I said, what the vision is from PK on how they want to utilize him. A lot of, you know, for a player, a lot of their success at the, at the highest level in the NFL level is based on how compatible you are with that defense. Now, if you're an exceptional, extraordinary talent, doesn't matter. You'll work in any damn system and you'll be a star in any system. For the most part, though, for a lot of guys, you know, it's, it's the kind of system they're in and how they're being utilized Um, You got to give Todd Orlando a lot of credit for, like, that 2017 year. Find a way to utilize all the guys. So getting back to the initial, to me, the initial uh, mission for PK in the offseason. Who are your best 11 players? Yeah. Who are your best 11 football players? Right? That's what you need to find out. And I don't know how close they are to that, but to me, that's got to be where you start. Because to me, that oftentimes can lead you down the rabbit hole of creativity. Yeah. And then you will find, like, no, no, I got to run this just to get all these guys out on the field. And if these guys are on the field, we win. We win more than we lose with these
1: 11 on the field. And these are my dogs. Using that uh, type of comparison of players, you know, like – You look at Diamante Tucker Dorsey, he's the type of guy that seems like a quote-unquote football player, and that's the type Mm -hmm. of guy, like, it isn't going to maybe be the guy that looks the best coming off the bus or the one that looks like the Texas guy, but if we are talking about getting the 11th best players on the field, you can have Mm -hmm. a guy like this somehow show up to a place like Texas where you can get the biggest recruits, And one of those players, if you're that good, it'll sort of just make yourself evident once you get on the playing field and he's always in the right spot at the right time. Not saying that's what he's going to be, but those are those type of players where you get somebody that doesn't fit what the conforms are or what the big recruits are, but you're the guy that just happens to make the plays. To
2: bring it back to a rudimentary level, let's not forget why linebacker was such a need Mm -hmm. for this staff in the portal because outside of DeMarvian Overshawn and Jalen Ford, Rod, I still they they've got bodies there. I yeah. still think they don't really know what they have. Uh um, I,
0: I think they know what they have. They just that's they where, know
2: they don't have much. That's I think that's I was I'm ho- I was hoping it wasn't that, yeah, but yeah. They, they know what they have.
0: They got Demarvion Overshown who said it's po- it's it's possible he could play at an NFL level next year. I still think he he's going to end up playing in the league, but um I mean he could end up being the best linebacker in the Big 12. He's got that type of, you know, a talent and capability. Mm-hmm. But then you got Jalen Ford, unproven commodity, but I think more people are po- positive and optimistic about what Jalen Ford you know, can do. Uh, there
2: were spurts last year where yeah. you were hopeful, like that goal-in sequence he had against Oklahoma State. Yep.
0: Totally yeah. agree. There were flashes you're like, oh, if he can do that consistently, he's a ball player. Plus,
2: I said this about Jalen Ford too, man. They flipped him from Utah. And if you're an FBS pro, a Power mm-hmm. 5 program in the state, and Morgan Scaly and Kyle Whittingham offer a kid that plays defense in this state, yeah. go back and watch the film again because there's something you might have missed.
0: Exactly. So I think they're happy like – Thank God we found Jaden Ford because after that, I do believe there is a significant drop off.
2: Who's, who's your next group like Devin Richardson and yeah. uh, David Bender? Benda? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, I don't think anybody feels that confident. And David Bender has, like I said, he's he's been a serviceable piece at linebacker, yeah. but I don't think anybody projects him to have a breakout year. If he does, that's found that's great. That's found mm-hmm. money. But you as a coach can't go. I'm, I'm baking on a bend to breakout year. You'd be a fool to do that. I mean honestly, there was a, there
2: was a reason why Luke Brockermeyer started eleven to twelve games last year. The only one he didn't start ding, was ding, the k ding. was the K state game when he got hurt. Come on well, now and exactly. that's a,
1: sort of what it, so, this when we see a player like Tucker Dorsey, it sort of makes me fits that type of mold to where like we always talk about, you know having the best eleven or if we talk o lines the way that, The players as a unit, it's about the collective and how they fit. The same thing I always bring up with the basketball lineup and rotation, the five guys on the court Mm got to complement each other. And linebackers are sort of like that too. Like, And you already have a guy that has the athleticism in the play You guy like Overshown, but we may just need a guy that can be that steady force in the way that he's able to play alongside the other guys and how they, you know, uh, basically cover up
0: one another's deficiencies if there are others. Yeah, I think Texas right now might be caught up in something kind of weird. It's like, um, in terms of football theory, the macro is, and I think, Jeff, you agree because we've talked about this, the linebacker position now is becoming a developmental, um, experimental position. Yep. Right, so you got to be, if you go start, especially the Big 12, you start looking at a lot of the linebackers. Sometimes you just get a freak, and a freak, great to have mm-hmm. freaks. I mean, right? you can go recruit LSU the guys, get
2: some, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Get, yeah, exactly. But,
0: <laughs> LSU's getting them, Georgia's getting them, you know, Bama's getting them. Yeah, you know, Ohio State can get some of those guys. It's great. If you can get those guys, get those guys. That is awesome. Like Malik
2: Jefferson. You get a Malik Jefferson, yeah, great. Em.
0: Right? Right, uh, you can get those guys, get those guys. But less and less because of the proliferation of the spread uh, offenses at the high school levels, you're, you're not seeing those traditional freaks at linebacker like you used to back in the days when you were playing more run-oriented offenses in high school because they're just putting athletes in different places. They just are. And sometimes you get that big, giant freak, they start thinking, you know what, how about I'm be a pass rusher? It's starting to spin them down earlier on when they used to, like, no, let's put them at linebacker. You find more freaks at linebacker. So the freaks you're seeing at linebacker these days, I think a lot of the times you're starting to see guys as developmental projects where almost like tight ends used to be back in the day. Like, no, I'm going to find me a really good athlete. Really good spread baby, as I used to call him, a ball player. And Gary Patterson's been doing it for years, so thank God he's here, his special assistant. And in the Big Twelve ecosystem, those guys are having a ton of success. We talk about Malcolm Rodriguez in that you know in that mode. Hell, Demarvion Overshone is that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though you know Terrell Bernard isn't traditionally a guy that spins down. He's undersized, considered to be at, at a linebacker. I mean, Jordan
2: position. Br- Jordan Brooks at Tech was a track guy.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you you just, yeah, exactly.
2: Kenneth Murray was a safety in high school that spun down.
0: Right. And those Those are, are I think both those guys were drafted in the first round. First Mm -hmm. first First time the Big 12 had ever had two linebackers drafted in the first round. So I think for the Big 12, so maybe I'm just looking at the Big 12 and I'm trying to project the Big 12 onto the rest of football, but I'll just apply it to the Big 12. I do think in this specific conference, because you always talk about the hybrid spread schemes and because of, you know, having to match up with that on the defensive side, I think still you go back to, you have to have hybridized players, hybridized skills sets to match up with that, you know, not just at the secondary positions, but also at linebacker. So I think Texas is in a weird position now where I think long term, you need to develop a strategy, right? We talked about short term, obviously you got to go transfer pro just to upgrade, but I wonder where they're going long term. Are they going to, you know what, let's just go recruit, freak freakish athletes, and we'll just turn them into linebackers. We trust our development enough. In the past, Texas was lost because their development sucked so bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can't get into the experimental development area of linebackers and kind of experimenting with great and good athletes there and turning them into linebackers because your development was bad at almost every level for every position. Hell, Malik Jefferson came here as one of the premier linebackers in the country. And everybody agreed, he was underdeveloped here
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for the most part. He was an All-American when he left, but he didn't hit his ceiling.
0: He didn't hit his ceiling. Yeah. you know. I think even Malik would
2: probably tell you that.
0: Um, But anyway, so I I think that's kind of where Texas caught in a weird spot there too. And I don't know what this regime is going to try to do with it. Just go to Bama route and go, you know what, we're just going to recruit the best, most freakish linebackers in the country and bring them here. And what
2: do you do? So what do you do when you miss though? You know?
0: Yeah, so maybe apply both strategies. Maybe it's a two-prong. Like, no, we're going after the top ones, but on on the other side, we're going to also be experimenting with some guys and bringing them in and trying to develop them. And you got the perfect guy there, the special assistant to the head coach, Gary Passing
1: up, you do it. And you brought up, you know, the idea of just, you know, these spread babies are getting, like, football minds, guys that love the game or just play the game and, like, if – You might have a linebacker at a different position, but if you can focus on finding those type of guys, because we've always talked about that unquantifiable nature that recruiting is always Mm -hmm. so hard because we see all the measurables, but we don't have a way to measure your not only love to play football, but then your ability to process the game and then your interest. In processing the game yep. which are all multiple other variables that that's why coaches like to sit down with players and in the recruiting process get to know them and it's why when you work in different environments like different workplaces have different ecosystems and people gravitate towards one another and same thing with football so if like if your baseline's able to find those guys like we always use Quandre as the great example because mm-hmm. like he's not only like a kid that was a legacy to the program from being around from the brother, but also, you know, like, he comes from a place where football is life and those type of little things that add up when you start to have a spreadsheet on a player and how many boxes do they check that fit, you know, their system or yeah. what you like to do. Once you can get a lot of those guys, sometimes, well, then, if they grasp everything, they're the ones quick to pick up a different position that they aren't used to playing.
2: Sure. Yeah, the the linebacker position, it it, uh, it's IQ. Well, no, no. Where I was going with that is, it's a little problematic, Rod, from something you brought up years ago that I firmly believe in. And on defense, you win with players. O- offense, you can win with scheme, and you can mask deficiencies to a certain point. Like we've talked about, the challenge for Sark is how much can you scheme and mask the scheme around and mask Office the deficiencies of your line. offensive line, and you mm-hmm. can do that to an extent. Man, on defense, if you don't have the horses, you're going to get exposed yeah. at some point. Yeah. The problem with the problem with that at Texas with with the linebacker position is. It is more of an experimental, developmental route, but the problem is, what's compounded that is, you can de- you can take guys as developmental guys, but if that defensive coordinator's fired in two years, now you've got a developmental guy that maybe the next guy's like, well, he doesn't feel what I That's want to be. That's a great
0: point. That is a great. I know, yeah, and Texas has ha- been through that. Like, and cr- because because what continuity. happened?
2: What happened with Chris Ash's first year? He had a bunch of guys that Todd Orlando recruited that were developmental guys, or he wanted to work with. Like, well.
0: What am I going to do with these guys? Yeah, these ain't my guys. These ain't the kind of guys that I play. And I And I system. think
2: this was the same thing a little bit for PK last year where he had pretty much you had no guys. He, there was no way Pete got through the spring last year with any kind of feeling on what he had and Jeff Chote and what he had at that inside linebacker group. Because remember, Overson missed the spring. Yeah, you're right about that. And like we said, there was a reason why Luke Brockermeyer was running with the ones pretty much all spring uh-huh. last year.
0: No, you're right. And they had uh, – Juwan Mitchell had left. Right? Yeah. He left, uh, went to what, Tennessee or something like that? Yep. Yeah, no, you're right about it. It's just been it, – it, it is. It's becoming – and I, I'm with you. I, you know, I'm a central nervous system guy, so I agree mm-hmm. with the theory about the linebackers and that being kind of a common denominator of great defenses. It's just really tough to find one, let alone two. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why that 2011, the 2011
2: defense – Keenan yeah. Robinson and Manny Acho. We got two NFL Jordan linebackers Jordan Hicks was your there. third.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah. young Jordan NFL Hicks. NFL linebackers there, yeah. And the Malik Jefferson, Gary Jansen thing, even though they're not el- they weren't elite in terms of being both NFL linebackers, I think Gary Jansen got like a little sniff and maybe they invite him to a camp or something. Yeah. But they the uniqueness of the skill set that they were both – so fast, they were arguably the two fastest players on the field. Yeah. And they yeah. were just as fast as your DBs and your, you know, I mean your safeties and your corners. So it was just a freak. That was just a freaky defense to go against when you literally had, you know, basically eight guys on the field, eight, seven, eight guys on the field that could all run four or five. Yeah, because that can <laughs> sort of,
1: or, or, or lower. That can sort of cover up things <laughs> yeah, whenever exactly. when you don't you have continuity, states, yeah, and you don't you have know. the central nervous system, and this yeah. was something. I've been thinking about all week because obviously I always am thinking NBA stuff. But whenever you look at the just way that Texas right now and have we've always talked about this lack of continuity for a decade and keep severing in all these different new schemes and new things that players have to fit in. But now we're finally getting a year or two under Sark, but it's going to take some time. But we've started to see some things like he's brought in guys like Keelan. He's brought in, you know, a G.A. Hall and also Billingsley, people that came over from. Alabama that are just in the previous like when you're talking about filling out the last pieces of your offense Mm -hmm. and your roster it's a security blanket where you sort of have that familiarity with players and then when you brought up uh you know talking about the central nervous system of the defense and the continuity it sort of stood out in my mind when you look at the two teams that are playing in the NBA finals and what they've done in recent years like The Celtics, they have brought back Al Horford Because Al Horford is like their And Draymond Green literally Compares himself to a linebacker For the Warriors, but a big Piece was bringing back Andre Iguodala Who had been gone Mm -hmm. for the last couple years And he's the type of guy that not only Is your vet that can give you those Systemic things that are passed down From generation to generation, which You lose when you don't have continuity At a place, or you don't have coaches Doing the same things over and over But they're both guys that are at areas where they're basically like the defensive coordinator, the coach on the field being the guy that would be what we yeah. call the central nervous system of a defense. Even Eme what did he do? The big one trade. Everybody thought it was crazy, but it was like, oh, no, just give me Derek White. Why? He was Derek White's coach with the Spurs, and they were together, and he knew, like, there's this guy in San Antonio that grasps everything that I'm trying to do. Let's get this Schroeder guy out of here. Schroeder isn't working with us. It didn't work with the Lakers last year. Let's bring in a stabilizing force. So, like, the only two changes they've added to that same Boston team that's been there. You know, it's going to be the fourth finals for Jalen Brown, the third for Tatum. But, like, Al Horford coming back and then the coach's bench guy that's going to be running the second unit is really a big deal. Iguodala does the same thing with their defense. And, like, when you start – When I start to see Texas, at least with Alabama, like you get a couple years, but also bringing guys in that are quickly familiar with Sark's offense. Mm -hmm. And like you don't have to worry about installing, you don't have to worry about, you know, a whole year of making sure that this guy builds my trust and earns it. It's like, man, this guy knew this stuff when we were doing it in 2019 or in 2020. So those like little tiny things might add up. And, like, that's why I was really hoping we'd get Matt, Mathis, a guy that had some type of continuity with a guy like Gary yeah, Patterson. But when I see a veteran like a Diamante Tucker Dorsey, it sort of makes me feel like, well, I mean, we already saw the legacy kid in Brockermeyer that was, the, you know, coming over and being that what we would call, you know, a, a football guy, just, you know, lives and breathes mm-hmm. and knows how to speak it. No wonder he was able to get onto the field so quickly. And, like, Tucker Dorsey sort of fits that mold.
2: Uh, let's take quarterback out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I think for colleges, off ball linebacker and tight end, I think are probably the two toughest positions to recruit right now. Like look, like left tackles or recruit offensive tackles always gonna be tough, but like with line of scrimmage, guys uh body type and measurables are going to shrink the pool of candidates you have for those jobs.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Considerably.
2: Um for tight end and off ball linebacker, there's really no there's no low end or high end on where measurables can be, which just completely, I think, throws a whole monkey wrench into the plan. It's a great point, right?
0: Yeah, because it's more, it's, it, it, there's more, I think, emphasis on the skill set. Yeah. Um, or, or or as much An emphasis on the skill set at linebacker it's almost as like they're on the physical. As close to 50
2: 50 as you yeah, can get. Like right. right there, I think it's right there with quarterback.
0: And sometimes the guys like a Gary Johnson, his at Texas, his speed, was able to outweigh any lack of physical measurables right, like, that you may lack.
2: Whereas, a guy like. Go back and look at the 2014 defense. Like a guy like Steve Edmond, it wasn't speed. Was, it was length.
0: It was. He was just Elite long. Length. Great point about that. Yeah. It was just hard for quarterbacks to throw around them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drop that guy back in coverage. It was like, what the hell, man? Yeah, he's just taking away the drag in the sixth round just because of his length. Yeah. But I'm with you on that. Yeah, that, that's a great point about linebacker. I totally agree, man. I Those two
2: positions, man. Linebacker is and tight really end. really tough.
0: Yeah, and I would say linebacker's tough than tight end. Yeah, number, uh-huh. I would agree. I can identify, honestly, I because I think it's easier – To go find a great athlete and turn him into a tight end. That is a linebacker. Linebacker, you're asking him to cover. You're asking mm-hmm. to blitz. You want him to bang around with offensive linemen. You want him to be to tackle in the open field. The skill – I mean, the amount of skills you need for – instincts. In- I mean, the, the amount of skills you need to be a good linebacker these days is almost infinite, man. When you crazy. have the physical
1: and the mental combination, yeah. like you almost do have you know, to be a able- – is
0: going to get drafted potentially. What can he do? He can't even block, but he can run downfield. And he nah. can catch. It's like, he's an NFL tight end. It's like, well, he can't block. It's like, nah, we don't give a damn about that. We'll teach you about a block. But linebacker, hell, man, you can be a well-rounded linebacker it's Still in the NFL is like, man. Nah, maybe you're in the sixth, seventh round, somewhere around there. Like,
2: mm-hmm. like I was just- watching a, I was watching a, a USFL game. Please don't fault me for that. I was watching a USFL game <laughs> a couple of weeks ago at the house, and he was injured. But they're talking about Scooby Wright. <laughs> who was a great player in Arizona? A great off ball linebacker. I remember
0: him. I forgot about that yeah, guy. Not exactly.
2: even and he's in the USFL.
0: There you go. No, I'm saying linebacks one of those positions where I just think it's really, really tough. And I, I would it's say defensive are, running back. And hmm. I wanna say I would like to know how many young players, like high school players. Remember Nick Saban said, I want to turn Trevon Diggs into a corny cry. <laughs> right now all pro corner. you got to thank Nick Saban for the multi-million, he's the highest paid corner in the league when he signs. Thank Nick Saban for it, but he cried the whole time. And Nick Saban has said, continues to like, say, I put players in the NFL. I go tell guys, listen, you're a great athlete. I see you as a first-round pick, but on defense. And the kid is like – uh, I'll get back to you coach I'm going to mm-hmm. see what I can See if I This other school wants me To play tight end They're going to let me Play running back He's like I cannot sell me I can't sell players Nick Saban On going to play for me So I can senior to league If you're going to play defense Guys won't play offense that bad We know Jatavian Sanders The same way mm-hmm. They're Sanders Dude as a pass rusher Right mm-hmm. now They look at you as a You know you're a day One day two pick easy He wants to play tight end You know what I mean And we just got to mm-hmm. say How many tight ends Go in the first round Maybe one
2: yeah. But even maybe even what, if maybe like, yeah. yeah, not to get he's too far even, off like, on the drunk. tangent. But yeah. but yeah, even if you look at Jatavian Sanders, like go back and watch him play in high school, like go watch him play a game. Yeah. like on defense, he's he's there.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, on offense, oh, and all yeah. So was just like, Randy Moss, I think he's spectacular. <laughs> I was just I was like, no, I agree with you. I was like, I think his passion is just passion. The motor, on yeah. offense. And so that's I'm not mad true. at him. But my point is, like, it's just, it's getting tough. So I wonder if you did, like, an informal survey of people who know a lot of high school athletes, go to, you know, all these seven-on-sevens and stuff, how many of those players actually want to play linebacker? Mm-hmm. Or are like, nah, I'd rather play tight end. Nah, you know what, running back. Nah, I'm going to be a big wide out. And it's like, go. nobody was playing, you know, years ago, Jaden Greathouse would be playing linebacker. You yeah. know what I mean? Like fifteen years ago, that's now where was the like, talent evaluator he the wide receiver, Like, man, he might be a hybrid H-back, like wide receiver or tight end. And I keep hearing rumors like, "Nah, they're gonna suck him into playing tight end once he gets to the to the highest level." Yeah. So either way, just it, it's just the game is changing so fast. You just you never know. I think linebackers is really tough, man. Yeah, and being really that tough.
1: talent evaluator and being able to spot those guys, like the way we talked about. You got to sell them on beat.
0: it. We ready to sell them off your own on it at first. you yep. right, ain't just spotting them. I got to spot them. I got to recruit them. But then I got to. Sell him on playing linebacker. I got to bring him in a different position.
1: Yeah, because you got to bring him in in a different position, and then turn him even into the guys.
2: That. Texas recruiter that worked out uh, that worked at that position. I mean, you had to move Malik Jefferson inside, where he Straight played outside. High yeah, because like,
0: he's supposed to be a pass rusher, linebacker yeah, on like outside. It's,
2: it's a different. It's a, it's different,
0: a different deal, deal man. Like I said, say I, I would just make up positions for these guys. I would like make up mm-hmm. a special name for him and yep. stuff like, oh man, you can play I would call the overshow. We got the overshow, man. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, what I mean? like, whatever it is, just make up
2: something. And, and well, just get him on the field. And then yep. yeah, like we talk about all the time, like, you know, Bill Walsh created the elephant position for Charles Haley. Exactly. You know? Like <laughs> Oh, uh, the Oklahoma defense with Mike Stoops—they called that position the Roy because Roy Williams didn't want to be labeled a linebacker. He want to right? be a linebacker, even though so he was we'll playing just, a linebacker. Yeah, all the so time. we'll just name the position the Roy. Yeah, you, just, you feel better? Okay, great. We're exactly, all on the same page. Yeah, they sold Jalen Ramsey on playing the nickel
0: position, and he move around. And said, we're gonna call it—I think we'll called it the Star for mm-hmm. them. It's like, yeah, but you got to sell players yeah. on like you're special, so we're gonna treat you special. Yeah, when you're a linebacker, whatever. you're a hybrid. That,
1: that added value yeah. of if you're a staff or if you're a head coach, and, you know, like maybe not every head coach can identify those things, but we talk about, you know, places like Baylor. We've seen this happen time and time again, even with Gundy. It happened time and time again. That's why Patterson maybe, his set of eyes, you know, Sarkeesians be like, I'm an offensive guy, but, like, we know we have talent. We have talent across this roster. But, you know, like across the spreadsheet, you always maybe on the end of that roster have a page you flip over where it's like, if this guy doesn't work out here, this position and this position is where he may have other upside, and those are the type of things that maybe certain coaches like a Patterson, as his track record's proven, mm. can be the that extra set of eyeballs to be able to pluck those things out of your sure. roster.
2: But where the proof is going to be in the pudding for Texas long term, because I don't think it's going to be that different going from the Big 12 to the SEC, because the SEC oh,
0: yeah. it's still it's a lot of... Sc-
2: it's, it's a hybrid league in a different way. It is. Like It's it's getting more space and pace, but I would say this at the end of the day, and Thank you for it's giving me credit for this, Big Rod. It's st- the SEC at the end of the day, is still a line of scrimmage league. Like go back and watch that national championship game. Wait, is still about what happens. In the trenches totally in that league that. at yeah, the highest level, Georgia. Levels.
1: Yep. I mean, We're if you want to contend with the top, yep. you got to be that, and then be able to. So it's it out. A, the, the
2: yeah, SEC. So
0: they, they, they've added now the skill position talent. Yes. That, yes. that the Big Twelve had years ago. But you're right; they always. So the got SEC's the a pitch. it's
2: a hybrid yeah. in a different yeah, sense yes. than yeah. what we see Still the best in the league. Big Twelve. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but at the end of the day, where the proof is in the pudding for Texas, you can have your your long term strategy for the Big Twelve. Actually you probably don't have a long term strategy for the Big Twelve. Your long term strategy mm-hmm. if your start, oh, you're sorry right. is getting you ready for the SEC. It can work in that league, but you still you can identify guys and have a plan. At the end of the day, it still comes down to are you a really good development staff and can you develop these guys? Neither one of them will work
0: in? if you can't develop. Them. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Like the the classic Texas example I use, if DeMarco Cobbs played for a more oh, stable defensive coordinator. Yeah. Like DeMarco if he had a Kyle if he if he, if he had a more if he's a guy that if he had a more stable defensive coordinator, his career at Texas might have been different.
0: Oh man, what he run the what was this like track times? It was something freakish, right?
2: Nah, it wasn't. It was just the but what was freaky though is, and I've talked to him about this too. If you go back and watch the ninety-six yard touchdown run that uh, Damian Williams had in the OU game mm-hmm. in twenty twelve, yeah, like Demarco Cobbs takes a bad angle, gets knocked out of the plate, and still almost runs him down. <laughs> No, he was – no,
0: I remember he was at a, but you're right. He was – I don't know what he they were – ran at 10-8-800. Because Will, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't because
2: Will Muschamp well, recruited Before a linebacker.
0: That's <laughs> fair. You're right. Exactly. So Me right. I'm, you're right. Good point. Because
2: Good point. Will Muschamp recruited him thinking about a Quentin Groves or some of those undersized guys he had at LSU and Auburn. Mm-hmm. But then it was Manny Diaz who wanted him a linebacker but had a different vision for it. And we all know just the – the issues that that defense had in 2012 going into yeah. 2013. That's a good point. Uh, I, the sad thing it's I could, like
0: you said, it's your theory about how he got caught up in the the, the change.
2: Like yeah, the regime change. Like, to me, it, yeah. Demarco Cobbs was about ten years too early. Drew Kelson was about fifteen years too early. Oh yeah, Drew Kelson. Drew Kelson. Shut up. Drew Kelson might have been a fir- if Drew Kelson played today, he might be a first round linebacker.
0: <laughs> yeah, Texas was really good at one point. It wasn't at linebacker. I know we're getting off on a tangent here, but it was that. Remember, they should have like these the running backs that end up playing D line. Yeah. So oh like yeah, the Chris Williams, Williams guys. Yeah. the Henry Melton. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We,
1: we 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 totally. Lamar Houston,
0: I Lemar think Houston was a high school running back. Like, yeah, they, that was like basically you wanted. So that was your kind of Kendall played rate. running back in high school. Yeah, like yeah. that's what you wanted. Like your success rate, you wanted that. Now with linebackers, Texas was yeah. really good at that for a little while. I was like, man, sometimes you bypass like, like everything. Like, to yeah. Tackle that that really uh, big physical like running back. they that mad workout program. East Texas somewhere. I was like, no, actually, I see him as a D lineman.
2: But you know what, Rob like. A, a, a guy that was on the coaching staff when you played, and Mike Tollison was a really good talent evaluator mm, for D-line be. talent. Could
0: be you had yeah, a guy who just knew Tally, how to Like if you
2: and, and in the subsequent years, if you ever get a chance to talk to Tolly about just the D-linemen I that he's evaluated, is is Mike Tollison's a pretty fascinating conversation just to talk about. I bet he was, uh, yeah. You know, just fundamentals and technique and and little nuances of, so of all D-line those old D-line, D-line coaches. Yeah, Tally guys was, love
0: them. Yeah, Tolly was good people too. Yeah, love Coach Tolly.
2: Um, and then you know again, but look who was the look who the Texas defensive coordinators were that recruited some of those guys, Gene Chizik, Will Muschamp, to a lesser extent Greg Robinson, yeah, like guys that were forward-thinking defensive guys. They were progressive, yeah, football theorists in their own right. Yeah, <sighs> Greg Greg Robinson, football theorist.
0: Mm, oh no question. Yeah. Oh totally totally agree with that. Uh, no no doubt about.
2: I don't it. I don't know in my lifetime following the program I don't know that there's been a Texas defensive coordinator who was better at taking what he had and making the most of it.
0: He yeah. had a he had a really I don't know what it was. It was just a very a depth and almost intimate knowledge of spread spread schemes. Yeah, he was really good at coming up with game plans. I mean, we talked to we talked
2: to Tim Crowder it and guys that played for him, Jackson Jeffcoat. That they said nobody they ever played for understood the spread as well as Greg Robinson.
1: He did.
0: really did, man. He really. I mean, he
1: was I don't like know football ex- MacGyver. He was like a defensive. MacGyver he
0: yeah. He I mean exactly. He that's exactly what he did when he came in for uh, was DS. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, nah, Because nah, he he was plucked in from a different era. He was like in he the nineties. Late, late. It was like Great, the Broncos nineties. Right? Yeah. He was Man. with those teams, you yeah. know. No, you're right. And then you go from that and being dropped into the Big Twelve in twenty twelve. Oh, 30, and he, oh, he and like he was He, he thrives. Yeah.
0: What, think about it. he How does this this conference eats defensive coordinators alive for the yeah. most part? I mean, it does. That I mean, just shows about, you're a football mind. We talk about PK. Hell, we love the P.K. high. I kept talking about, oh, I love the P.K. high more than I love the sarcasm. Great hire. awesome yeah. hire. P.K. got eaten alive yeah. in this conference. And we've seen really good D.C.
2: We've seen Gary Patterson struggle we've seen Gary in this Patterson league. we Gary
0: Patterson struggle in this conference. And, yeah, you see. They <laughs> shut up and shut it all Greg down. Greg Ross come in and he's like, oh, I got this. And it, Yeah, it had it like a makeshift, you right, uh, defensive scheme to work with. and that's deep,
2: it's, it's like Jim Knowles at the first. was like, I'm getting the hell out of this league. Yeah,
0: Jim Knowles, like, yeah, I'm gonna get out <laughs> before I get exposed. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm out. and I think he was, it was smart of him to do so. That was a smart. He's a hell of a defensive coordinator, but I, I think all of these guys are good defensive minds. But I think the, the Big Twelve is so unique. Whether it was when it was an air raid league and all they, these air raid coaches were just picking you apart because they were all essentially it was it's so ancestral mm-hmm. because all of the air raid offenses are related, or because now, like you talk about, it's hybrid spread schemes and you know, they're like, no, no, no. Air Every week, you got to match up based. If you just got one type of defense every week, it's going to be really tough uh, for you to match up against all these different offenses week in and week out. But the key is what Hy- hybridism, right? You get. Uh, players like Jalen Petrie and your Terrell Bernard, you get players uh, you know like Malcolm Rodriguez. Hell, Ohio- Oklahoma State's full of all those guys back there. Mm-hmm. The Cover Harvard Peels and yeah. Uh, yeah, you go and go go Bernard Conver, all those guys. Uh, but my point is, you get enough of those defenders, and you become a hybrid defense as well. And and then, you can match up across. Yeah, you the know, board. I
2: think about like Will Muschamp when we talk about what was great about w- what made Greg Robinson really good and what's made some of these other Texas defensive coordinators really good. I think for Will Muschamp, mm-hmm. it was kind of, I don't know if it was understanding the spread as much as what he valued on defense okay. helped him better defend the spread. That's a good point. And because he, what he valued, speed and versatility. And when he, he, Will Muschamp was kind of on the cutting edge of hybrid defenders. He I agree with you on that. What yeah. he did at Auburn. You go back and look at his time with Nick mm-hmm. Saban at LSU. I agree with that. Uh, but also, man, kind of the opposite of PK. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a Texas defensive coordinator that was better at in-game adjustments than Will Muschamp. Yes, he was. Yeah, he you know, was the, the, he's a play caller. The most famous was. one was the 2009 game in Stillwater, where they get like a drive or two in, and he's like, "All right, everything we did during the week, forget it. Thrown it all out, drawn it up on the fly." Let's go. And they shut down Zach Robinson and that offense and won that game going away. So
0: the best offenses in college football. Too. Like it's it,
2: yeah. it was his Will Muschamp's in-game adjustments were just out of this world. Good. I agree with that.
0: Yeah, and it's awesome that kind of you.
2: You said that about Bull Reese, right? Bull Reese had that. Bull Reese was
0: really good at that. At that too, I agree with that. Yeah,
2: so it's kind of like Will Muschamp was the best of Greg Robinson and the best of Bull Reese, and that's why to a lot of Texas fans, how one generation of Texas fans how they view like a Mike Campbell or Leon Fuller in terms of defensive minds. Mm -hmm. For one, another generation, that's Will Muschamp. Yep. I
1: agree with you, It's the very best
2: of the best. Great
1: point. Yep, and finally when Georgia breaks through, they got Will Muschamp on that defense. Hey, real oh, quick,
2: can, can I – and, and this will get us going into, to dovetailing in the next week, but I, I just want to hit this real quick. Uh, how much, how significantly does the ceiling for the Texas defense get altered if Alfred Collins takes that? We talked about overshot Oh, wow, yeah. If Alfred Collins takes that massive step forward – no oh, man, how, how significant? Because the one area they didn't, they did, they tried to. The one area they could not address in the portal was getting an edge guy.
0: Most important issue.
2: But if Alfred case. Collins develops into a war daddy, does that negate the lack of getting a portal guy? Because you have just got one. Mm-hmm. He is, to a lesser extent, we've seen Tavondre Sweat do this at times. But Alfred Collins is the one guy on that defensive front who, by himself. He can be not saying he is going to be this guy, but he think about the great Texas defenders we've seen. Uh, a Jackson Jeff Code, a Brian Arakpo, a Casey Hampton, a guy that could just completely by himself just wreck a game plan. Yeah. Cause you cannot account yeah. for him.
0: Yeah. Uh oh. Wow. Uh, if it if he did become kind of war Daddy stats, it's a big problem with the Texas defense. I know we're up against. It, so I'll be quick. The big problem with the Texas defense last year, it it, it just real quick and short, like uh cliff notes, as if you will. They had nobody, nobody on defense. In my opinion, that could win a one on one. Right, nobody. I, the Secondary didn't have guys that could win one on one. Nobody on the D line could I win a one on one consistently. Not every now and then they would, but I'm talking about consistently. More than half the time yeah. you win your one on one, that is going to force a, a an offense to adjust to you. If you're winning mm-hmm. one on ones consistently like that, if, well, you're, if think, you're a defensive, yeah. if you're a corner winning one on ones more than half the time, they're going all right. You know what? Might have to throw over here. Don't, that guy wins fear. a lot. Yeah, we're not gonna throw it because honestly, our success rate is gonna drop precipitously throwing at that guy. Yeah. On defense, you demand a double team. It's like no, he winning. He winning more than half the time. We got a double team that guard. We got to chip that guy. We got to do something, right? Uh, Texas didn't have any guys like that on defense. So if he becomes a war daddy and demands, that's me. Definition of war daddy is you demand a double team. Yes, most of the time. Like they got a double team because one man on you, one man blocking you, you win, and or, they know that.
2: Or you're Casey Anthony, you get triple teams.
0: Exactly, <laughs> right? Aaron Donald, you get triple team. Like no, that's just re- that's a regular thing for him, and he still ends up winning, yeah. which is crazy. So I think that's why it would be a huge leap, man, because they did not have anybody that can win one on ones. If they can have a guy that demands a double team consistently, that's when you start winning the numbers advantage. And PK mm-hmm. couldn't win the numbers advantage because he didn't have a player that a could win one on ones. Yeah.
2: So where I want to pick it up next week, just talking about X factors and what can alter the win program for yeah. this team, one way or the other. Based if a guy takes a big step or maybe if guys don't take a big step, basically, Ooh. who needs to be an X-factor for this team <laughs> like that. in 2022? We'll pick that up, talk about it next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man.
1: You're more than welcome. Rod B, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime.
2: For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 101 9 a.m. 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B each and every weekday on Bald On not from 3 to 7. Seamus Buck. You can also get myself and Craig Waite each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt. You can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Page.
1: Yep, just type in Longhorn
2: Blitz. Search Horns 247. anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns two four seven. No dashes, no slashes. Click that follow button. Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff How. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.
1: You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition.